Welcome to this special presentation of Bait and Switch Podcast Sports, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Bait and Switch Podcast. Any other use of this podcast or descriptions or accounts of this broadcast without the consent of the Bait and Switch Podcast is strictly prohibited. Welcome to our coverage of the 2023 Tour of Italy. Make sure you check back later in the year for our coverage of the Tour de France and the Tour of Spain. Our guests this evening are uh, Mitch Tyke, good friend of ours and uh, cycling enthusiast Mitch Tyke. Also has uh, attended the Tour de France, as we can see in his photo behind him, but <laughs> our listeners can't see that, so we'll just mention that. We have Will Beyer, who is the son of my co-host Chris and also a big cycling enthusiast. Welcome, Will. And of course, we have Chris is here. My co-host Chris Beyer is here, big big time cycling guy. And uh, welcome, Chris. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Joe. And last but not least, we have local cycling legend, a former professional cyclist, and currently the organizer of the Tour of America's Dairyland. Tom Schuler is here with us. Thanks for being here, Tom. And guys, I wanted to um, not to bias anything, but I wanted to reference the picture in my ba- the background there. That is the start of the Giro in 85. And that was the first American team in a grand tour. And that's, I'm right in the middle of that picture. And that's the Coliseum in Verona. So I'm excited to be on this call because I've always had a soft spot. It's beauty and it's brutality altogether. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been to Spain, France, and Italy and Italy, yeah, they're all beautiful, but Italy is just that much more beautiful. So, and more and more brutal too, from what I gather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can always find a hill in Italy. <laughs> yeah. So those are our esteemed guests. Welcome everybody. Thanks for being here again. First off, the tour of Italy is generally generally regarded as the second most important grand tour behind the tour tour de France. However, the gap between the two in terms of importance is huge. So is that a problem? Is the tour too dominant in importance? And should anything be done about this? And can anything be done about this? And can the sport continue to be financially healthy in light of this fact? So what do you think of all that, Tom? Uh, Jim, that's a great question. Um, The tour and the tour's owner, ASO, certainly has a lot of influence on Uh, the global calendar, not just the Tour de France, but lots of other races. And the Giro is bundled. uh, Mitch would know the name of the organizer, but... uh, Yeah. Uh, RSO. RSO. Um, And they own Milan San Remo, I think Lombardia and some other of the classics. But it's really the public that makes the Tour the biggest and the, the global reach. So the Tour was the first one to really uh, market themselves to other countries outside of their home country. So, you know, until until other countries decide they like the Giro and the Vuelta, <laughs> uh, you know, Asia, Africa, and other parts of the world decide they like it as much as the tour. It's basically the media, the 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 job that the tour has done with the media. Because again, when I was ra- when I was racing in the eighties, the tour was still the biggest, clearly the biggest, but nothing compared to the difference today. Uh, of the, the the difference in size, scope, and reach. So I think it's really just up to the Giro and the Vuelta to do a better job branding, marketing, and, and getting their product out there. 
I think one big thing that the tour has going for it, in addition to the history, is its real estate. That July, you know, uh, spot on the calendar is gonna just attract the most eyeballs, and uh, it might be healthier for the sport if the tour started initially, say, in August. So it gives a little bit more buildup and a little bit more real estate in the summer to some of these other races. But what's done is done. This tour is going to be in July. It's always going to be the focus of the season. It's kind of weird for the sport to have its premier event right in the middle of the calendar. It's not at the end of the year like the Super Bowl. But what's done is done, and I don't think it's going to change. Well, and I would make the point that to to the degree that the United States and, and cycling fans here have any sway, um, one of the things that holds the Giro back is its lack of network TV coverage in this country. And the tour has, is much easier for cycling fans and even, you know, kind of casual fans to check in with, um, by showing on NBC and on Peacock. And it's not easy to, uh, to track down the Giro in this country. It's a little easier than it used to be. Um, but still, you really have to go out of your way and want to see it. Whereas both the tour and the Vuelta are, available on peacock and uh, and that makes a that makes a huge difference at least in being able to attract new fans yeah it's a little surprising to me as uh not so much a cycling enthusiast but but the fact that italy is such a beautiful place you know why wouldn't they want to highlight the the beauty of yeah. as the racers come through and all that and all the history and everything and so, so it seems like that alone would have some some value uh for for viewers just to see these guys racing through these places i would think i know that they i know they've talked about actually um the the giro uh kind of wants to start some year in north america and i don't know how realistic that is just because like the <laughs> enormous travel expense that that would be but they've talked about how powerful it would be to start and say you know with a time trial in new york city with such a big italian community and <laughs> And maybe have a stage someplace else in uh, in North America that has a has a good Italian community as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mitch, that idea actually got pretty far along in the '90s. So you know, I have the prologue and the uh, first stage, or even two stages on the Eastern Seaboard, and you know, just the amount of money that the Giro would re- uh, require from it. It was the promoter of the. Philadelphia U.S. Pro Championship that would have been the partner, and they got pretty far along. But, you know, they've started, we saw, was that in, um, you know, they've started all through Northern Europe, so Ireland, everywhere else. So uh, that would be super cool. Yeah. So because the tour is so important and is after the Giro, it can be hard sometimes to get a quality field in Italy. However, this year we have two of the biggest names uh, that are our two biggest favorites, Remco Evenepoel, Evenepoel and Primo Roglic. So uh, did either of these names make a mistake by not basing their season on the tour? Mitch, we're going to start with you. What really appeals to me is kind of how wide open this field is. And I get the sense that you know, Primo's Roglic has had kind of a rough time of it in recent years, especially going directly up against Tade Pogachar. Frankly, I think now that uh, Yumbo, the team that uh, Primoz Roglic rides for, has named Sepp Kuss to the team, I think this this Giro really represents the best opportunity Primoz has had in some time to be really competitive in a Grand Tour. Um, 
Remco Ebnepol comes into uh, comes into the Giro on the back of uh, a really pretty impressive win in the last monument of the spring. Uh, that's uh, Liège Baston Liège, and so I think it's probably wise for him to carry the strength into the Giro. It'll be um, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure it will be all that brilliant uh, to to like take that success and then kind of sit on it through some of the the smaller tours, just waiting for the Tour de France. So I don't think this is hamstringing them at all. I think um, actually it'll be a really interesting and intriguing battle between uh, the the two favorites. The main reason I believe that Remco is doing the Giro, as it's been stated, is because there's more more time trialing miles. And also, maybe it's because he's young and they're saving him for a little bit later. But we've seen in recent years, young riders, they're coming out of the gates, winning these tours. Is it a waste of time to have not Evanapol Remco going for the tour as early and as often as he can? Might he miss opportunities to win the tour by doing the Giro? Um, Great question. I would like with someone like Tade Pogachar, yes. I would say he, he he's built for first and foremost stage races. Uh, Remco really is built a little more for as a one day rider, and he's proving he can ride um, a three week stage race already. Remember, he did win the Vuelta last year, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he does have a little momentum. the The real reason that I think you know this is all part of his development. They don't want to. They want to send him to the tour when they think he can contest for the victory. And they they know he can contest for the victory in the Giro this year. And this would really just be a stepping stone. If he could do that, this would be a stepping stone to a tour start where he had a reasonable chance, barring any injury, for winning. And, and he's already young, so he'll have plenty of chances. And I wanted to throw out one other favorite and initially i agreed it was a, a two-horse race between primos and um and that other guy remco 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 because <laughs> they they did you know they declared early and they were they were obvious favorites but you know Ineos has been sort of on in high altitude camps and uh gegenhart has an amazingly strong team behind him so they're going to race differently than both uh, uh, Evanapol and Primos, but at, to me they have the strongest team, and they have a guy that already won the Giro, yeah. uh, Teo Gegenhardt. So I think now, after the Tour des Alpes, which finished last week, which Teo Gegenhardt won pretty commandingly, uh, I it's a three-horse race uh, right now for me. That's a good segue, Tom, because uh, we're going to talk about picking a winner. You mentioned the, the two primary favorites, uh, Evan Apol and, and Roglic, and then you threw Gegenhardt in there. I'm going to go to Will first. Who do you think has the edge out of that group? Evan Apol has the most current uh, Grand Tour win at the Vuelta last year, but obviously Roglic has won, you know, three in a row of those, I believe. And also, um, I'll butt in here. Roglic just beat Evan Apol in the Tour of Catalonia one, a one-week race about a month ago, but go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, I didn't even know that result, but... <laughs> but um. You know, there was also evidence pointed to uh, Evnipol ch- uh, chose the Giro because of time trialing miles, right? We can't forget that Roglic is also an amazing time trialist in his own right, so that category is going to be pretty even 
And I think ultimately it might come down to the team support, which I think Roglic's, you know, Jumbo Visma team is going to be much stronger than Quickstep in the mountains, especially due to one person, Sepp Kuss, who I believe is maybe the best mountain domestique in all of cycling as of right now. So I think I might very well give the slight edge to Roglic. Well, I would jump in and say that not only are you probably right there, um, but I also look at Sepkus as a, as a kind of guy who, if for some reason Roglic has to pull out of the Giro, he suffers an injury or an illness or whatever, Sepkus would be competitive in his own right. Um, kind of the way, you know, Chris Froome ascended, uh, at the, towards the end of uh, Brad Wiggins career, uh, back in the, in the days of, uh, of Sky. Now, uh, Mitch, you jumped the heat. You jumped. Sorry. Uh, you, you jumped the, the question here <laughs> later today. I was going to ask that specific question to you or have it asked to you. Is, uh, Coos GC a thing? Is it ever going to be a thing? He's 27, 28. He's great in the mountains. Time trials, not so much. He's on a strong team. He's probably not going to get leadership at that team. It's a foreign team to him. Does he have to go somewhere else to become a GC guy? Is it a good idea for him to try to become a GC guy? Would we have seen that aptitude by now? Is Coos GC a thing? Well, if you're asking me, I would I would compare him to Jack Haig, um, who you know was in the shadow of both Yates brothers at um, at the team that keeps changing names, but is now known as Team Jayco Alula, um, and has been kind of given the reins in his new role. You know, I think, I think Sepkus GC is a possibility, but we'll, we'll only know if he, you know, he tries to grab the brass ring. Um, there are plenty of, uh, plenty of riders out there who have made wonderful livings and, uh, wonderful careers as, you know, the guy, the domestique to, uh, to the people who are the premier, what's the word I'm looking for to the, uh, to the marquee guy. Um, I mean, I'll defer to others, but um, I, I think it could go either way. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll answer the original question Jim asked, which is uh, Evnipol or Roglic. <laughs> but I'll throw in this, that the reason we're talking about Sepp Kuss so much is he's an American. Uh, and so that's why we're talking. <laughs> not just, not just. Like, obviously, yeah. he's yeah. an amazing rider. He's probably 10th or 12th favorite, something like that. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in for our listeners. He's American. That's why we're talking about him a little bit more so than we would otherwise uh, Evan Apol Roglic, I'll go with my son. Roglic uh, has got the stronger team. He beat him in that uh, one-week stage race here about a month ago. I think when it comes to time trialing, uh, Evan Apol, I'll give him a slight edge. When it comes to experience, I'll throw Roglic in, but be advised that picked Roglic too many times to win these races, and he keeps losing. <laughs> yeah, just just to warn you guys, my dad has a bias towards Roglic. Yeah, yeah. So we we've seen it in a few of these podcasts. All right, Tom, who do you pick on, or do you want to pick Gegenhart? Uh, I think I I've got to go with uh, Evan Apol. You know, and whenever you pick a favorite, you got you you like you like the rider. I like uh, like Chris likes Primoz Roglic. I like uh, pretty much everything about Evan Apol. The podium for me is those three. It's Evan Apol, then I. It's a toss up for me between Gegenhart uh, and and Roglic. Tom, what about Garen Thomas on Ineos? No, no, he's late thirties, I think. Mitch would know, and he's just Mitching missing a gear when he needs to go. 
he's super valuable for a young rider like Gaganart and um, keeps him calm. And he's often the last guy to go. And then they'll keep uh, uh, Sivakov in reserve. And, but they have, if you watch the, uh, the tour days out, which I did every day, and it was, it was pretty, it was the uh, Ineos Grenadiers of old where they just put six guys on the front and grind everyone off their wheels. And there was three of them left and, and four other riders. It was pretty impressive. And that's the team they're, they're taking. That was the final prep race for that, that group. They came from high altitude camp, toured his Alps, and now they're going to start the Giro. Oh, oh, and one other rider that didn't ride the Tour des Alps that is on their provisional start list. I don't know if he's going to ride is Filippo Ghana. And he's not a bad, he's not a bad horse either. Yeah. Well, he'd be especially useful. I mean, he's, uh, his time trialing skills are pretty amazing. And there are three time trials in this race. Yeah. Is there a team time trial in this? I forget. I don't think, I think it's so. three individuals. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I mean, if you put those together, you get three T's, right? So all right. So next I want to talk a little bit about the Russian rider Vlasov of team Bora. First question would be, do you see him on the podium? And secondly, the UCI has allowed him as a Russian to continue to compete, unlike some other sports uh, who have banned Russian athletes from competing. Do you think it's right for sports governing bodies to ban athletes from controversial countries? And specifically for you, Tom, uh, what about the tour of America's Dairyland? And has anything like that ever come up for you with that? One thing to point out about the the ban of certain sports like cross-country skiing they are racing in their country's jersey uniforms, like at the Olympics and that kind of thing. So the, the the Russian athletes are now integrated into the Peloton, and we don't know if he's Slovakian or Russian or, you know, mm. we, we, do, we do know that. But, I mean, it's, there's not as strong of a, a country presence. It's kind of like when the Olympics allowed the Russian athletes to compete under the flag of, what was it, Mitch? It was the people's. It was the, right. It was the. Um, it was like they were the, uh, the cool group. It was, of the, it was under the Olympic flag, actually. Well, the, right. at one point it was the Commonwealth of Independent States, and then mm-hmm. uh, and more recently it's been under the Olympic flag. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so they were the original cis athletes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing uh, that's the difference for the UCI. I, I don't know. I haven't followed it. But as far as that team Bora goes mentioning them it, they're kind of like the bay i look at the start list and the way they race and it's kind of like bahrain victorious they've got a lot of people that are capable but they seem to rarely have a strategy except last year remember they they did win uh the giro last year mitch oh, I'm Jai Hindley, yeah yeah Jai Jai Hindley, exactly and yep. they they really executed an amazing plan if you i mean jai Hindley could not have got an ounce more out of himself. He saved it for that one attack. It was it was an amazing stage to watch how they orchestrated that syncopated attack and wait and how they did that. I just don't see quite the firepower. I hope I'm wrong because it was really fun to watch how they raced last year. And I know they're they're built for stage racing like Bahrain. So you know Bahrain and Bora for me are wild cards, but. Vlasov, I think, again, is one of those cards to play, like Leonard Kamna. Um, and it's probably one other on there I'm forgetting. Maybe Conrad? Yeah, and, Patrick, and Conrad, Patrick Conrad. Yeah. Patrick Conrad, yeah, and maybe another even. But, you know, they're they're a deep team, but we don't see them as one of the, the five-star favorites. 
You know, and I think actually it's it's probably worth mentioning that there have been Russian-owned teams in the past. Tinkoff Saxo was a team owned by um, a Russian billionaire, and I would imagine that if that were still the case, although I guess the I guess um, Oleg Tinkoff, who owned that team, has renounced his Russian citizenship. But if there were <laughs> there were still a Russian-owned team, uh, I know Gazprom has a lower-level team. It would be easy to imagine the UCI banning a team like that but the individual riders who ride for teams that are under flags of other countries it's i mean it's a it's a tricky question the same way that nhl teams had uh you know had russian players um Mm -hmm. who weren't banned from you know who aren't banned from competing in the stanley cup right and i think tom made a good point which is you know those they're they're playing under their team's jersey Right. right they're not playing under their country and i think that that clearly makes a difference right so next in the number five slot, apparently in the betting lines is uh, Almeida from the UAE team. So we're going to talk about him a little bit. Now he benefits from the two time trials. We've been talking a lot about time trials. He benefits from the two time trials of 33 K and 16 K. But of course, all the names we've mentioned so far uh, are equally good or or maybe even better at uh, time trialists. So uh, the question is, do you miss the day of Grand Tours with two 50-kilometer time trials? Mitch. <laughs> Um, as a, as a, as a cycling viewer, I don't miss the days of two 50-kilometer time trials, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, uh, do you think it's been good for the sport to shorten up these time trials? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think the, 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 you know, the distance of these stages has been getting shorter and that's showing that, uh, you know, 135, 150 kilometer mountain stage with lots of climate can be just as exciting because they, they race flat out from the gun. So I think to the point, I mean, no one was sandbagging even the 50 kilometer time trials, but it was more of a drubbing and a little more predictable for someone like Remco Evenepoel. So, and that's why we're all talking about time trials is because they've, they've you know taken out so many kilometers of the time trials and now they're putting some back in so um uh i i think it's a good thing i think it's a good thing yeah i mean i like a time trial to be long enough to be interesting but um uh but from a from a television consumer standpoint they're they're not compelling uh you know except on that rare occasion where it really does come down to the last second um you know such as uh what was it the the 20th stage and the tour a couple of years ago yeah well and, and the giro i think the year that gegenhart won yeah. um i think he won on the final time trial i mean yeah. you know whether it's a classic like the tour of flanders or whether it's the giro or a grand tour you want it to be a nail biter right up every day, but mostly on the last day. <laughs> yeah. So they, they're all calculating the mountain stages, what they have and, and how it can stay close to that final time trial or that final mountain stage. Um, I'll address uh UAE team here talking about Almeida. Another potential co-leader might be Jay Vine. Uh, Jay Vine's got an interesting story that you guys might know about, which is he got into the pro ranks through the Zwift Academy. Uh, Zwift is one of those online, uh, things that you can do. You can bike against other people and they had a competition, kind of almost like a reality show competition. And they found this guy out there that was in his basement and they could push a lot of watts and he ended up getting a job. And he's, he's quite a good, uh, cyclist at this point from Australia. Again, that's Jay Vine. He might be co-leader with Almeida. 
Uh, Jay Vine might be one of those guys. We're talking about Sepp Kuss, GC. Jay Vine might be the that Mountain Domestique guy that could be the the GC guy in the future. I could see that happening. He he really dominated some race here. I forget whether it was Giro or the Welta. I won a couple stages, then crashed or whatever. But uh, I'm going to throw it to my son next mm-hmm. to talk about a team that Tom mentioned, Bahrain Victorious. We've got a couple potential leaders in Jack Haig, a guy by the name of Damiano Caruso, who got second a couple of years ago, and an upcoming guy, uh, Butrego and Mater. So what do you think about Bahrain, uh, Will? To me, Bahrain has always been one of those teams, almost old movie star-esque, where they have just a bunch of leaders and not as much of a plan. But obviously, in my opinion, I think uh, their plans are better executed than Movistar, uh, who have had, you know, questionable questionable stages in the past. Just looking at the current start list, you see Caruso, Haig, Mater, Bretrago. Those four names all seem like people who are capable of making a top 10, uh, sometimes even an oddball top five. But I don't really see any of them making top three unless, you know, we get a bunch of crashes or COVIDs or sicknesses, right? I'd say the best bet as of right now is maybe Jack Haig. You know, with this supporting cast of other strong mountain riders, if they get Haig into a position late into mountain stages where he has three domestiques with him, you know, they could really, you know, push push the power, push uh, the limit of other riders and just ride away with it. It's interesting to see how they're going to play with so many cards, but I know at least one of those cards is going to make it into, you know, top 10, top 7, top 5, just because all of them are just so good. Tom, the next question is for you. Uh, the two American teams, Trek and EF Easy Sport, are led by Chicone and Carthy, respectively. So, how important do you think it is for Wisconsin-based Trek to be a top-level sponsor? And which one of these do you think is going to finish higher? So the uh, Chicone, you know, this is his home race. We saw last weekend he was in the – at one point he was, you know, riding for the podium. Uh, they got caught in Liege, best on Liege. So he's obviously got great form. He'll be their – uh, their number one leader. They also, um, yeah, it, he's it because oh, Moli Bauki Malama will be in support, but he's always ready to go if Chicone has a problem. Tom, I will uh, chime in. Chicone's got a problem. Recent COVID test. He just tested positive here recently. He might, I didn't time, know. <laughs> he might have time to get better in time. Well, that had to be in the last 48 hours because he raised really well on Sundays, so I didn't know that. Um, you're more up to speed, Chris, than I am. And then um, they're also supporting Mads Patterson, and they'll they'll have some resources to support him for the uh, the uh, sprint jersey. And then uh, over on the EF side, I really like the five riders. They only have five listed on my list. But the, one, the name we haven't mentioned is uh, two names, Magnus Court, who will contest for the, the sprint jersey, along with his countryman uh, Mads Pedersen and a couple others like Gabria. And then there's Ben Healy, who's been the rider, the surprise rider of the last couple weeks on EF. So EF has three horses on the GC. They're looking a little like a Bahrain or a, a Bora, where they're deep, but you just 
don't know who they're going to support. And the time trialing, Hugh Carthy is not strong at time trialing, or Healy, I don't think. But it's uh, uh, Hugh Carthy, Rigobarter Iran, and Ben Healy. So those are they have three people on their list of five already. And again, Magnus Court for the sprint. The EF team is looking pretty good. And with two more riders still to name, three more riders, three more riders still to name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question. Do we know if Paulus is likely to ride this race? He had a pretty bad crash um, and he's had a pretty big, big schedule this spring. And I'm sure he's prioritizing the, the tour. So I think that's a very, uh, a bit, a no. Um, and I, so to the question of who's going to finish higher, I'm going to say EF. I just, I think between Rigobutter Iran, uh, Hugh Carthy and Healy, someone's got to have a good race. Yeah, yeah I would have Tom, picked uh, Giulio Ciccone to be higher in the uh, in the individual, but I guess that's uh, it's, it's a little up in the air right now. Yeah. Oh Tom, yeah, uh, Tom. Do you have an opinion about Jonathan Vaughters? Do you know him? Uh, he's the, yeah. the head of yeah, EF. I know him and Lance have have uh, had their problems over the years. Uh, what's your opinion of Jonathan Vaughters? Yeah, I mean. Waters has done an amazing job um, just sl- slowly building that program. And he he has, you know, he has strong opinions, strong principles. And it's taken, he, he never has a competitive budget really to work with. So he's done a lot. He punches above, he's lately especially been punching above his weight. He's a, He is known to assemble a cast of characters that, often get forgotten or, uh, uh, you know, left aside or dismissed from other teams. And he gives them a home where they feel welcome. And it's kind of a, kind of a ragtag bunch, but they've, they've really got, um, with, uh, with everything going on, they've really got a nice group this year. I mean, Carthy's coming around. Healy is amazing. Rigoberto is a, uh, you know, just so, so solid. And of course, uh, the, I guess they just have the, one American, right? Um, Paulus. Um, Paulus, just, and there might just, be others. No, just Nielsen, I think, is the only American. No. Yeah. But yeah, Nielsen's just been amazing the last uh, the last this, couple this of years. Season. Building up, yeah, this season, just riding at the front, never missing the move, taking his pulls. Just, uh, uh, yeah, he, they've, Vauders is really, and, and you know, Vauders has st- stuck with it. He's been in the sport a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, now you mentioned sprinters here. Let's talk about the sprinters. Let's move on from GC. I'm going to throw out some names and we'll talk to each one of you. You got to pick who's going to win the most stages and who's going to win that sprinter's jersey. All right. Here we go. I'll give you some names. Listen up. Here we go. Mark Cavendish on Astana, Gaviria on Movistar, Caden Groves of Alpeson, Matthews, Michael Matthews of Jayco, Pascal Ackerman of UAE. Mads Pedersen, the aforementioned Mad Pedersen of Trek. I'll throw another one, Chimelai on Kofidis. And I'll say this, as we've mentioned before, the start list is not complete. We're recording this about 10 days before the actual Giro starts. So some of these names might either not end up being on the list or other names might be added. But of the ones I've said so far, let's go to Mitch. Mitch, uh, who's going to win the most stages when it comes to the sprinters? And will that be the same person that wins the points jersey? 
I'm going to choose uh, Pascal Ackerman to uh, to win the most stages. I think he's got the best uh, sprint. Well, he doesn't have the best sprinting pedigree. It's hard to hard to you know argue with Mark Cavendish. The nostalgic person in me would like to see Mark Cavendish win a couple of stages just for how long he's been sticking with it. Um, it certainly would be nice if uh, if he raced in the Tour and broke the uh, the all time record this year. But uh, but I'm going to go with Ackerman. Um, as far as the sprint jersey goes, I think that's more likely to be Mads Peterson. All right, Tom, uh, I'm going to ask you the same questions, but let me ask you one other question in there. Back in the days of Robbie McEwen, uh, he would race uh, the Giro the first week or two, get in five or six sprints, and then abandon and you know rest up for the tour. Some people thought that that, along with some other people that did similar tactics, were disrespecting say, the Tour of Italy by, you know, only riding half of it and then abandoning. Do you have any problems with riders that do stuff like that? And again, who's going to win most stages and who's going to win that points jersey? So I'm going to go with uh, Caden Groves to win the most stages. Three. I'm going to say three. And uh, and I have to agree. I think Mads Pedersen, I think he's there for one purpose, and that's to bring uh, win the sprint jersey. I think it's the Azure, right, is the the blue jersey is the sprint jersey. As far as that question about uh, leaving, I I never had a problem with that. Now, what's changed though from, uh, <laughs> you know, certainly my day when it was a completely different thing. But um, even the last probably 10, 20 years ago, the the Grand Tours used to you know save the mountain stages towards the end, and they'd try to have more sprint stages in the beginning, and you could almost just say you know, only turn on the TV in the last hour to watch the sprints. Now they don't do that. So you, a sprinter can't, you know, ride the first 10 days. They only, might only get two chances. And certainly they're not going to get the Champs-Élysées, which is typically a, if they drop out. So um, I think, I think it's okay. And I think they, it doesn't happen as often because they can't load up on sprint stages in the first two weeks. You know, they might only get four chances, right? The people want to see the best, and then they want to see the survivors on the <laughs> Champs-Élysées. <laughs> yeah. All right, Will, what do you think? You know, if you're asking who I'd like to win the most stages, then I'd really like Matthews to win some stages. I'm a, I'm a fan of his, but if you're asking who I think will win the most stages, uh, I'm leaning towards Pedersen on this one. I think mm, Nice. going along with, you know, that idea of there's going to be more mountain stages in like yeah. mixed in with sprint stages, I think Pedersen has more of a chance to survive those mountain stages and get to later on sprint stages. And that's also why I'm going to choose him for the green jersey as well. Cause I think, uh, he's, yeah, he's just going to survive better on these stages and make it to the end more likely than Cavendish or Gaviria or Ackerman, you know? All right. I'm going to go around the horn one more time. I'm not going to pick. I'm just going to listen to your guys' picks. Give me two names here, Mitch. Who's going to be the highest Italian finisher? And give me a name of somebody that we haven't talked about to watch out for. <laughs> um, well, if he rides, I will pick Giulio Ciccone. If he doesn't ride, uh, all bets are off. Um, Filippo Ganna? He's, uh, okay. He is Italian, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. All um, right, so who's the, your name and, to look out for? Name to look out for... Oh, give me just a second as I kind of glance through my notes here. Um, 
we've talked about we we've talked about a lot of uh a lot of folks um right yeah who's left <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll throw a name out to you Thibaut pino is he washed uh, you know, up? i was just looking at Thibaut pino and warren bargill um you know they're wild cards. I I could imagine either one of those guys um, winning an individual stage, getting into the breakaway and making it stick. So I I would say that's probably I don't know that Thibaut Pinot FDJ has not named. Uh, they've only named three people to their team as we're having this conversation. One of them is uh, Stefan Kung, who um, also uh, stands to uh, uh, to be strong in the time trials, but. Hard to say who's there to uh, to support Thibaut Pino. Um, but I would say he and, and Bargiel are kind of classic climbers who uh who could, you know, stick around long enough in a in a stage or two to uh, uh to pull out an individual stage win. Yeah, now Tom, uh your highest Italian finisher, and I'll I'll throw some names to you here. Who do you think's gonna lead? Now we're we're ten days away. They haven't announced this. Who's gonna lead uh Wanti and who's gonna lead Jayco, do you think? Yeah, no. I have no idea. Um, I have not. <laughs> so Jayco have named three people and Wanti where the, there's Wanti has one on my list. Mm-hmm. Bonifazio. Um, I think Bonifazio could win the Giro. There I you go. Can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I give props to Jayco for naming Filippo Zana to the team just to <laughs> confuse people. <laughs> I'm going to throw out a real popular writer in Italy. Um, the ageless. Dominico Ozzavivo. Ozzavivo, who, if he has a good race, he's 10th place, maybe ninth. Yeah, yeah. That was Ciccone, a day I was waiting for somebody to throw up. Yeah. If, if Ciccone fizzle, if Ciccone's not healthy because of COVID, I agree. He's my favorite if he's healthy. Uh, if he isn't healthy, I'm proud favorite to go with Dominico. Yeah, yeah. He, did, he didn't have a ride until. A couple months into the season, he was campaigning for somebody to pick him up, and uh, and who picked him up? Well, I've, I'm, I'm lost. Israeli, Israeli Premier okay. Tech. Okay, let's go to my son. Will, do you got a name we should look out for? And also an Italian finisher. Sure, an Italian finisher. Um, because I I just wanted to go out on a limb here for uh highest Italian finisher. I'm gonna say Fausto Masnada of Sudal Quickstep, just as um a mountain domestique, pretty much the main mountain domestique for Evnipol. You know, he gets 11th or 12th or so by just being a high mountain domestique for a eventual favorite, right? For someone to look out for, uh, I'm looking for stage hunting. I'm going with Kemna. You'll pretty much see him in the break almost any day there is a break in the mountains. You know, he's always looking for that win and he's always capable of it. Yep. I'll throw out a name we haven't heard yet. And there's, I'm sure there's a reason for it. I'm sure he might not even write anymore. Chris Froome. <laughs> you know, I don't. He could be riding in this. I don't know. On Israel, is he? Is he still on Israel? He's on that yeah. team. Uh, let's take a look. Is he on the start list? Do they have a full start? They only got four they names, so yeah. they could still name him. I think they will. I think he's going to do big things. Watch out! Yeah, for our listeners, he he got injured pretty severely, and he's never been the same. Plus, let's throw out that he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's probably thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight, something like that. Thirty seven years old. Okay. Wow. That is uh, our first Grand Tour of the Year here, the Tour of Italy, the Giro d'Italia. I want to thank our guests, as always, Mitch Tyke. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Mitch. Yep. Local cycling legend, Tom Schuler. Tom, when is that bone ride coming up? Wednesday, May 
17th, and I'm training with a little limoncella in the spirit of the Giro d'Italia. So uh, we're, we're getting nice. ready. Yeah. yeah. The bone ride, and of course, the Tour of America's Dairyland is June 20, June 15th to the 25th, our 14th year, 14th anniversary. Yeah. Yep. And, and as I've always said, you know, I, I came up with my own uh, toad ride. We've talked about this in years past. You are the TOAD, Tour of America's Dairyland. In my second group, I come up with the TODE, which means toad. It's the Tour of Dead Ends. I find all the longest dead ends <laughs> and throw them in one ride. <laughs> so the week of the toad, we do our own toad. And did you, now, did you have another ride that was hills or am I dreaming? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You haven't done I, I do the years. dead end. I do the dead end ride, the hills ride, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like that dead end idea. That would be yeah. Good. yeah, I find get, these ones that are, you know, I string them all together. Some of them are even like a, up to a mile long. Uh, really? This, you know, long farmer's, you know, field thing and you string them together. But uh, anyway, I want to thank our guests as always, Jim as well, and my son, Will. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll be back for the tour here in a couple months. But thanks again, guys, and uh, stay on the line. We'll talk a little bit more. But uh, to our listeners, our cycling listeners, you'll hear from us again in July. Thanks, guys. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.